Welcome to episode 217 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin on the line down in San Jose, California. Hello. I don't know why I was going to say San Francisco. I'm not sure. Pretty it's all enough. the same. Huh? Not the same, but it's, it's close enough. Yeah. No, well, so I think I think the, the Bay Area is is very similar to the, the GTA. It's all like connected cities from one end to the other, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and all the cities put together, it's it's pretty large yeah it's probably the probably the third i'm guessing the third largest metropolitan area in the u.s after uh the new york area and the la area right right yeah yeah and toronto's the same thing like the gta's goes from whitby all the way through toronto and then almost around the nose of the lake right so the, the st Catharines and stony or the stony creek and hamilton stop screaming at your screen all right all right so hi man we don't um oh so i have a little bit of fact check from last week last week i mentioned rob napier's talk and i think i said server and lies, or maybe security and lies, but it's actually secrets and lies, and that's from 360i dev. And I, I was stumbling with the uh, the Astropad guy who was on um, uh, Roundabout Creator Chaos with Tammy and myself. His name is Matt Rogue. Uh, Rogue, I think he pronounces it, but it's actually Matt, it's spelt rouge, like the French word, French word for red, but he said that, uh, that I think his family's lost that pronunciation years ago. Um, and, uh, I mean, just as a side note, uh, my uh, Luna display arrived today, so I got to take it out for a quick been on around the uh, block there. So um, Matt Rouge and his company Astropad brought out Astropad and they're the ones that just made the Luna display. So we'll talk about that in a bit. Anyway, um, uh, Jaime, I put an AskMTJC here. Uh, it's not really an AskMTJC. It's spiritually in line with that, right? It's a uh, yeah. friend of the show, Sean Marston, uh, says a beautiful day in CDG. I think that's Charles de Gaulle listening right. to oh, a, yeah. Tim Mitra Double Bill, the uh, MTJC podcast and Roundabout FM. And it looks like that's an Air France uh, Concorde yeah, behind him. Boarding a uh, WWC um, MTJC t-shirt from this year. Yeah. And I followed up with saying, hey, have you heard of Spotcast? And, and uh, interesting to see that uh, he said he tried to listen to it, but it talks about Star Trek Disco or Discovery, um, which he can't watch in the UK, so he gave up. I wonder if that's because he doesn't know, did it not show um, Discovery on Netflix in the UK? I have no idea. I assumed it was Netflix everywhere except the United States. Yeah. Well, in Canada. We have it on space, right? But, and as we mentioned on Spotcast last week, or yeah, last week that the the, the shorts, the little twenty-minute ones that are doing as teasers, they're not available. So, and anyway, I tried to I tried to lure him back by telling him we talked about your uh, your exploits with Doctor Who last week. So that's right. I have to watch the next episode of Doctor Who. And uh, you haven't watched the season, second one yet. I haven't watched the second one yet, and the season premiere okay. of Supergirl. I'll probably have to watch that too. Season four. Right, yeah, watch too. that one. So, um, how are you acquiring? Um, am, I, am I allowed to ask how you're acquiring Doctor Who? <laughs> I'm doing it on the up and up. It's not I'm not doing it illegally. <laughs> um, it was. Just checking. It was like two dollars on on uh, Amazon for the BBC America. Just buy the oh. episode or buy access to the episode. Um, I think it was like normally like or an I think it was like three to four dollars if you wanted it in. Um, I don't know if it was in four K or maybe it was just HD. But I got the SD version, which, if you ask me, it looked like a DVD, so it didn't look too bad to me. Um, yeah, for two dollars. And then I think if I go back now, the season pass would be eighteen dollars. I think it was nineteen dollars for a season pass. 
So can you load up Space TV or on your um, browser? Space TV, like spacetv.com or spacetv.ca so. or something? I think so. It's in the show notes. It's been there several times. Let me look. They, Space.ca, they is that what it is? Watch hmm? free episodes of Doctor Who. Free preview yeah. on now. What? All right, let's see. Let's see if it'll show. Oh, no, look at that. It's got a big old lock symbol on it. So what I see is uh, The Woman Who Fell to Earth, which is episode one, is available, I think. But I have a lock on The Ghost Monument. Oh, so you can, you can watch. Um, you can watch the first episode? It says I can watch the season premiere for... F- oh, no, wait, hold on. Uh, I might have to turn off Ghostry or something because it's complaining that content is not available for viewing in your browser, which I'd be shocked if Chrome wasn't support. Well, it could be reverse C- CRTC or something. <laughs> yeah, that's probably just like the default uh, error message they put up. Yeah. Here it is. 2018. We can't I watch know. our... We can't watch material seamlessly from other countries. I know. It's like, what? what is this? You know, we can, we can chat, we can do podcasts, but we can't like you know i mean this Sorry. is ultimate proof right of like the the meta uh the meta thing about this podcast and that it's never a technology problem it's always a people problem yeah <laughs> a policy problem yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people involved with laws problem and uh yeah. distribution rights well yes yeah, the ownership of the show i mean jonathan was complaining about the fact that last week that he couldn't watch something but it wasn't oh it's a flash right and um it's because no canadian broadcaster bought the rights to the show that's why you can't watch it i don't can't, can't remember who had it on last year i think it was i want to it was space. I can't remember. Or CTV or something. Anyway, that's too bad. We'll move on. Um, yeah, so thanks, Sean, for the shout out on the, uh, the Twitter machine there. Always welcome. Um, and you're missing some great banter on Spotcast. That's all i got to say, right? Especially with Jonathan on the show. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have some follow up and you've got the first item here, right, Jaime? Yeah. An episode or two ago, we were talking about iOS 12 adoption being somewhat slow. And I guess it picked up a bit um, in the past week or two, because according to this article, iOS adoption uh, is progressing faster on 12 than it was on 11. Now it's uh, installed of 50% of iOS devices. Yeah, this is based on the chart on Apple's own site. So I yes. think um, Mark mentioned a lot two weeks, two, oh, two weeks ago and it was from, I forget what site it was, but... Uh, so I, I posted the mixed panel chart, which showed yeah. what pretty much everyone has been saying is that initially the first few weeks, it was a little slow, right. but then it picked up and it's it surpassed uh, the rate at which at, at which iOS 11 was adopted. So it's it's mm-hmm. far ahead now. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty stable OS, I mean, comparatively speaking, right? So mm-hmm. I haven't found yeah. anything weird about it. I wonder if it uh, started out a little slow, if people are like, eh, I don't know if there's anything exciting, and other folks, you know, word of mouth as we speculated, like, oh, it's actually pretty good on my, phone, my old phone, and then it didn't make it terrible. So, oh, okay, I guess I'll update then. Get me some new, you know, emoji. Now, I have found a couple of things where an app built against the iOS 11 libraries running on iOS 12 uh, have some bugs, some issues. Really? Like what? I found a couple of them. Uh, well, one of them was a something to do with uh, decoding video and showing video and and you know the AV Foundation classes. Yeah, I gotcha. Uh, what was the other one? I can't remember the other one, but that that was the big one. But it, there was at least one more. Oh yeah, yeah. There was there was there was one place where the constraint system uh, it it appears to change the order that they do things. So I had one case where where initially it was setting up the constraints uh, and and there was just something hadn't been set up yet. So a variable was essentially not a number because it just hadn't been defined yet. Uh, and I was using it in a calculation for a constraint. So in iOS 11, it wasn't worried about that because it, it was setting up the constraints first before it, defi- before it defined the number and then you tried to do the calculation. But in iOS 12, r- again, building into iOS 11 libraries and running on iOS 12, there was a case where it was trying to use the results of the calculation in, a, in the constraint before it had been before the value had been set up, which was a little strange. Uh, but and, and of course, that would crash the app. So uh, 
easily fix, but you just, you know, you don't know it until you, until you try it. And the, you know, the good old days where you could just take an app and use yeah. it in all future versions of iOS yeah. seem to be gone. And it used to be that way, right? It used to be yeah. back in the old days, you could, you know, you'd compile something against iOS three and it would be still working great in iOS six. Yeah. I, I wonder about that sometimes. Cause you know, we get the weirdest, like we have a lot of, we support a lot of OSs and versions like we're, you know, two, three versions back as well as, um, multiple devices and it's the strangest bugs come back to us from QA with you yeah. know oh, this this you know a Mac mini or an iPad mini and, and this OS has this particular bug and you know whether it's an animation or something doesn't quite fit right or some constraints not being honored or what have you right so mm-hmm. and it's just these weird little edge cases that can't come back to us all the time right mm-hmm. very strange yep. very strange, strange. but yeah, other than that it's been pretty good I have to say I cool yep. alright well the next one here is for me and I, I titled it surprise uh, it turns out that Facebook, in fact, can use the data that they collect from portal devices to and uh, in the in-home devices they have there to target you. So they're initially, and if you read the story here from uh, Recode, initially they had said that uh, they were told that they, that uh, there was they wouldn't be using the data and you know that they collect through the home device. Sorry, through the is it home device? What do they call it? Portal in-home. Um, and uh, now they've they've come back on. They've retracted that, and they're saying that in fact uh, they can. So what a shocker! I know, eh? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt of just given the way that it happened that Facebook itself reached out to correct things rather than maybe um, maybe like an investigative report discovered or uh, you know some rogue engineer decided to tell the press. What I, I'm thinking happened here is the exec in charge of of Portal probably stated what they believed to be true, not realizing until somebody in the engineering team's like, "Hey, bro, you know we're using messenger infrastructure, right? Yeah, uh, you realize that infrastructure tracks the." Heck out of everything for various metric reasons and we can do ad correlation right oh oh okay we better reach out and correct this thing <laughs> so it doesn't look like we're hiding something right right yeah uh, i mean it's still bad like they, they really should be really careful about that sort of thing sort of in general but more specifically given all of the attention given to privacy it, not only in general but specifically related to them yeah actually it's so interesting i saw an article today i didn't grab it though uh, i thought we had enough to talk about today but uh, i saw an article earlier today um from amber max saying that uh and, and the basic of the head, the byline was, you know, you, you sh- maybe you shouldn't be using Facebook to log into all these from a, other other apps, probably for similar reasons that, you know, um, you know, Facebook is basically collecting data through that. Right. Or, I mean, they have the potential to collect data through your activity and other apps as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I hadn't heard of it from that angle. I heard of it from a um, now you've given the keys to yeah. like one one party, which I think I used to look at Facebook and Google and to a lesser extent, Twitter login as being you know, more secure and definitely more convenient than yeah. trying to manage, you know, a whole slew of passwords and everything. But uh, in an era of, you know, one password and LastPass existing and how tightly it's been integrated into the iOS and Mac ecosystem, it just seems like a risk you wouldn't want to take anymore. It seems like, mm-hmm. yeah, you should just use one password or another password manager like iCloud Keychain or something uh, instead because it's, it's not any more difficult to you know, just use those to generate. Like, it will even suggest stuff for you now, right? Like, here, press this button here. Stop being lazy and we'll, we'll generate one for you. We'll store it for you um, rather than having to defer to parties like, you know, big attractive parties like Google and Facebook and Twitter. Right, right. And I can't find the link for it. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes and we'll can talk about it next week. But uh, this, this is apparently there's some big story in Canada today with some sort of introduction of some law that uh, they changed. So it seems to be dominating the, the Canadian uh, news landscape today. So yeah, I imagine it wasn't a very productive day in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Apparently they ran out of, ran out of supply halfway through the day, which is no surprise to me.
to me at all. No Cheetos yeah. available at any convenience store no. anywhere. No. They ran out of Max milk, shining like Max chocolate milk. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, one of the credits on the um, on the Rush's album twenty or all all the world's a stage is a, a live recording. And if you look at the liner notes, they think you know this particular. We have a, like a chain of stores. Or we had a chain of stores named Becker's, and they thanked Becker's chocolate milk for for uh, in on the liner notes. I'll let you figure that one out. Um, Mark probably gets it. All right. Oh, um, no you have no idea. Oh, <laughs> okay, good. So it soothes your throat. You know what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Anyway, very important product in here in Canada. Um, uh, this was a quick one. Um, I just read that our, um, Apple is... Uh, we've been talking about this as a follow-up again on Apple and their forays into competing with Netflix and Amazon Prime. Um, an article here about uh, the fact that um, they're going to be pr- providing um, content to the Apple devices, Apple TV, watch, and, and phone, I suppose, um, for free, apparently, to, according to this uh, article from LA Biz. You guys? seen this or heard about this yeah i heard about this and it didn't make a hundred percent sense to me i feel like they're missing something here because i thought apple would end up using this sort of content to drive you know of course more devices Mm -hmm. uh, and that makes sense cool but they're increasingly trying to bring in that subscription revenue and i was a little unclear how giving away content would would work towards that unless it was a uh okay you get this one series for free but if you want to see all these other good series um or uh maybe you can watch it live but if you didn't see it you know that day, then well, pony up your nine ninety nine a month for Apple Music, mm-hmm. and not only do you get the music, but you also get to watch our original content. Oh, that may be how, yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you, yeah. If you, if you click on one of the links or read more links in the article, it takes you back to Mark's favorite news ca- news website, CNBC. Is that correct, Mark? My favorite news site? Why do you say that? <laughs> you're always susp- you're, aren't you suspicious of CNBC? A little bit. They're not as bad as some others, though. I actually can't read this article because it's behind a paywall. Could you guys read it where you are? Which, the CNBC one, or no? The Biz Journal one. Oh, oh really? No. It, it didn't hit me with a paywall. Did you reach your monthly maximum or something? Like happens I, to me with the New York Times occasionally. Well, here, let me grab this other link here. Copy this link. This is the link to the other site. So they put a paywall in front of a link to a, or another website which they don't control. Yeah. Beautiful, wonderful, wonderful idea. They do mention that maybe this this content would be free through the the TV app or drive you to using the app, and then um, content through other partners like HBO and Stars would be available through a uh, like a channels subscription. Which sort of makes sense to me because um, I'm sure there's others that do this, but the one that comes to mind is Amazon, where hypothetically, if I wanted to, I could, you know, pay through Amazon for CBS All Access and HBO and Showtime and probably a whole bunch of others that are not coming to mind. Um, I think to make the billing and everything else a little bit more seamless is probably the the play there. And I assume that Amazon, um, or in this case, Apple, if they were fulfilling that role, would get um, a cut of that revenue or get a, um, yeah, it's probably like a recurring cut rather than like a finder's fee, like a one-time, you know, oh, Oh, great we got a subscription signed up and here here's a hundred dollars sort of thing mm-hmm. we'll see they said it was going to be released in early 2019 so that's not too far away and i'm sure more things will leak out about this in the future yeah, I mean, like, like you said, it could be part of your Apple Music subscription. Um, that could be part of where it's coming from. All right. So this is, a f- uh, last week I mentioned at the end of the show that um, um, I just found out that about the CBC investigative report thing about uh, Apple overcharging for repairs. And I had a chance to go back and um, watch the video. It's about, it's actually a special news report on that was on our national broadcast here. And it covers a bunch of different things. One one in particular is, you know, they, they take a hidden camera thing with a, with a MacBook Pro with a display 
display issue into the Apple Store, and the genius says he takes it in the back and comes back, and you know the the little indicators that indicate whether the, the device has had water damage or water exposure, um, had changed colors, and so he comes back and he says, you know, you need to change all these parts for us to to you know give it a blessing and say it's it's repaired, um, and then they take the, apparently they take the same computer to some repair place in um, I want to say Brooklyn um, to a gentleman named uh, put the note here yeah Lewis Rossman who does repairs for um, we have a couple of small repair shops like this in Toronto too but they took this one to to, to the US and uh, he found a bent pin and he, re- he just bent it back and, and you know put the, the computer back together and it was, the display problem went away right I guess it was like an intermittent um, backlit problem but um, you know and Apple wanted like a thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars Canadian to repair it and he said it was a free repair for for him to do it for these guys and uh, so the question that you know comes back to I, I don't know you guys are familiar with the, the website iFixit which takes apart phones and stuff like that they're in, they have this you know 28 billion 28 million dollar business you know repairing uh, phones and selling parts to people um, so they were on there and, and their um, chief guy is uh, a spokesman for the, the right to repair group in the United States um, and there's a link here I've got in the show about or in the show notes about um, uh, the right to the, their statement on the right to repair stuff and they're, they're claiming that you know Apple's kind of locking us in and um, you know making us pay a lot of money to repair things and which could be true I've always been a proponent of Apple care as a cheap solution to that um, but and you know, and we know that Apple parts are, are not cheap right so they're you know things break big down you're going to get them fixed right um, and I will be honest that I've, I've noticed in some of these CBC reports that at least this is my opinion that they tend to um, they tend to not tell the story straight up I find that sometimes they, they'll they'll be critical and they're trying to raise these you know consumer alerts about things and they're not always you no know, they'll they'll say we tried to contact Apple but they you know they declined to comment well maybe they didn't answer the phone is the actual truth or whatever um, which I mean I'm not saying that's the case here but um, I find that sometimes they, they the to sensationalize the story they kind of like they skip over some of the details you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. um, anyway but because they do make it look like you know they make it look like well it, was, it could have been fixed for free but the guy at Apple the genius at the Apple store is, is basically reading from a chart that says you try this you try that you try that and and you tell the customer this is what it costs to fix i mean they probably yeah, get they, a ton they of don't know people. they're they're like high school kids half the time right they just, yeah exactly yeah. um no offense to any geniuses out there but or high school <laughs> or, kids yeah or, or apple geniuses or <laughs> right, who represents right, right. an apple genius um so yeah but, so i i agree with in general with the right to repair thing i mean i think you should have the right to to i mean you bought it you know you should be able to fix it but but i kind of do see where apple's coming from at the same time you know, you could you could kind of look at it in two ways. There's you could you could look at it as Apple as the evil you know empire just trying to get every last dollar out of us by making us uh, buy new things instead of being able to fix them. But but I kind of think it's not. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of that, but but it's not really that. I think I think the real yeah, reason that's not the intention. They, they are they are concerned about everybody having a great experience, right? Yeah, yeah. and and it's a lot of it is cost, right? You, if you if you made these super small, you know, thin devices in such a way that they were easily repairable, it would have cost a lot more to, to design them yeah. and manufacture yeah. them. And, and so the initial cost would be way, way higher than it is. So, so by trading off some of that flexibility, we get a lower cost product that we can buy. So yeah, I mean, I, I can see both sides. I can see both yeah. sides. I mean, if you want a wafer thin Microsoft Surface, you, they've got to apply some, some engineering um, 
tricks. You know, like they have to use glues and things like that to to get these small pieces together, right? Because right. And same with an iPad. I mean, an iPad is like pretty much glued together, or the battery in your phone. I mean, it is a shame that you know you know we used to be able to change the battery on a Nokia or a BlackBerry, but then again, the battery was like half the size of an Altoids tin, you know, um, which meant that the phone could be only only could be only so thin. Uh, but anyway, the, the 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 story goes on to tell about Geekbench, which is, which is an app uh, developed by Canadian or uh, I mean developer right here in Toronto. Um, who discovered the discrepancy about the phone thing that we talked about um, six months ago, I guess, when when the big conspiracy about Apple throttling the performance of your uh, phone if uh, the battery didn't hold enough as much charge. Um, And Apple claimed at the time that they were doing it to prevent, you know, your phone from shutting down unusually or or whatever. And so what they did was they threw their big uh, Geekbench software. They found that that as as the phone aged, it actually was running slower. Um, and the solution was, according to a Reddit article, which I've got a link in here, is just replace the battery, and then all of a sudden your performance, you know, shot back up again. Um, and we talked about this at the time that that um, you know, I think Apple had an up, uh, system update in I think was it was it in eleven or ten where they they were uh, tuning the performance of the phone is how they put it, I believe. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, it's an option now. You could say, yeah, barely. I want full power, you know, on the engine, but um, if it randomly stops at forty five percent, okay, yeah. oh well, I. Yeah. I explicitly opted into this experience. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've, I've noticed that ever since I've had a watch, too. There's a lot of communication going back and forth that, that you know, like my phones don't last the entire day um, because I'm, you know, I'm using my watch all the time and it's and it's using the phone as it's piggybacking on the phone and the two of them are communicating, communicating all day long, right? They talk about this uh, Shanna Scarlett uh, who's, you know, having has a class action lawsuit against Apple for, you know, reaching into people's phones and, you know, uh, without, without their permission and throttling the device, right? So, um, it's, you know, it's, I think, I don't know, it's, it's hard to, hard to, it's, you can buy into the argument that Apple is doing this, but I think it's just a bit of, you know, conspiracy theory, theory sauce on there, right? Yep. Um, in terms of, uh, but it's an interesting read. I, mean, I think people should watch the video and uh, follow the links I've got here in the show notes. Um, it's an interesting perspective on, you know, the man and what he does to us, right? <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of tricky. I do definitely think people have the right to repair. I don't think that's necessarily the same or should not be conflated at the very least with um, ease of repair. It might take specialized tools to do it for some of the reasons that Mark talked about, right? That, you know, if you're if you're going to manufacture it at scale at a certain cost and have it be, you know, so performant or or so thin, like you can't just use a random, like, you know, normal Phillips screwdriver to put the thing together, right? It's not, not like that anymore. Um, I do think that things should generally be repairable uh, by the user or, you know, by third parties with maybe the one carve out being that there should be special consideration given for security related things. Remember when people got really grumpy that they replaced the um, the touch ID sensor and they would get the mysterious error 53 thing. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. I think that was a legitimate security thing. So they, you know, people can't uh, surreptitiously change the touch ID sensor and, and confuse you, trick you into thinking that you've got, um, you know, a normal sensor in there and, and everything related to the secure enclave. But I also don't think that Apple should just have like error 53 sucks to be you. Like, it really should have been a more helpful, like, please take this to an Apple center and have them triage that. Like, I feel like that's one of those areas that would be rather difficult for you to repair yourself without it compromising security in some way. And so I think it'd be incumbent on Apple to make sure that that particular repair is, you know, fair and reasonable for folks if they become the the true single source for that. That's true. But I mean, the whole thing, I I believe that part of the Touch ID sensor is is involved in, in, well, there's hardware encryption on the device that that encrypts. It's part of the encryption process, right? And just like we were talking last 
week, well, if I if I want to get around, I just change the key, right? And then then I can get in, right? Um, so yeah, you're right. I think I think there has to be it's a certain amount of control that has to be you know put in place to protect us from ourselves. To be honest with you, right? Um, you know, you don't want strange people getting. I don't want people getting at my data. Like you know, like I have I have contacts in my in my uh, my address book that I, that would just be frankly embarrassing for other people to get a hold of, right? You know, because they're like they're, what? Well, people who trust me, like you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like I you know I have customers that trust that that I'll keep that I'll keep their 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 privacy right or their information private. That's why they they come to me. This you know what do you call it? The, it's the talk about with Apple all the time. It's the uh, it's basically a trust relationship, right? I forgot the terminology for it, but. You want to you want to protect that, and and that's one of the reasons why I don't. I mean, I I'm always you know shaking my head at people who don't put passcodes on their phones, and you know, or don't use Face ID or Touch ID, and and wonder why you know we put these why why these blocks are put in their place. I mean, we're digressing from the whole story about uh, this uh, repair stuff, but um, you know, I think I, I agree with the the idea that you know you can't just touch change a Touch ID sensor or a home button, right? So and there's lots of third party batteries out there and stuff like that too, and and they may or may not be to say the same spec or standard that Apple expects them to be at, right? And that could affect the performance of your device or the longevity of it as well, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so what do you want to do? Talk about next, Kwame, the user downloads or Photoshop? Let's talk about the uh, the Photoshop thing. Let's just go straight down the list. All right. So, yeah. So we've been talking for a long time about um, the fact that, uh, you know, we want pro apps on the I- iPad. Um, and uh, one of the one of the products that, you know, a lot of people use, I, lo- I use it all the time, is, I mean, you know, several times a week is Photoshop, right? And uh, Apple has announced that they're going to uh, provide a, f- a version f- of Photoshop CC or Creative Cloud for the iPad coming up in the future. So, and I posted an article in here and so did Jaime. So we have two different sources here. Um, so what do you, what have you got in your uh, source there, Jaime? It's an uh, announcement from Adobe about having the like true real Photoshop on the uh, the iPad. Uh, mm-hmm. There are still some limitations. They, they said it will not be like a, a perfect one-to-one, but it's not like a um <laughs> here's a pun it's not a gimped version of the software uh, uh-huh. on, the, on the ipad um yeah. and the demo that was shown here by i believe it wasn't an adobe person i think it was somebody from the verge's staff it looked pretty easy to use um it looked like they had done a lot of things to try to make it so that you know if you have an ipad pro and the apple pencil um the touch environment still works and mm-hmm. it's never i think kind of 100 overcome uh there's a video in here too I think where some people from other uh, parts of the staff are like, yeah, you know, I know a lot of the keyboard shortcuts to do certain things that I do repetitively, and uh, we don't have a keyboard on this, um, so that that will take some getting used to. So I think Adobe will probably have to continue to refine that and make it so that there are um, you know easy repetitive actions that can be done for folks that uh, that do that sort of thing. But it certainly seems like it's a big step in the right direction towards having you know these quote unquote pro tools on the iPad. And uh, I'm trying to look for pricing. The, the thing I saw was that it was going to be part of the uh, Adobe Creative Cloud licensing, but I don't know if there was going to be a separate non-Creative Cloud subscription pricing as well. Yeah, I don't believe there is. I I kind of read through both of these articles and I got the impression that that it's going to be a part of the Creative Cloud subscription, which is around, I think it's around, for Photoshop alone, it's around $20 a month, um, which is still reasonable because I think Photoshop used to be like $800 or $900 to buy in when it was a retail box, right? Um, The, um, yeah, for me, the thing is like, you know, the, I mean, I like to use my fingers on my iPad and stuff like that, and and uh, that's a challenge uh, with with doing fine things. But of course, you know you've got the access to the Apple Pencil, which gives you more fine fine control and um, lack of a keyboard. We'll talk about that too in, in 
in my pick, but um, um, that's that would be another another consideration. But I, I would assume that you would be able to bring up the you know the iPad keyboard and and uh, key things in. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of work done in Photoshop is done with layers as well, like and and you know a lot of the filters and effects tools. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that works. And one of the things that I do as a, as when I'm doing my digital art in Photoshop is I'll, I'll open multiple images and I'll drag elements from one uh, file to another and then you know layer them and you know play around with them and stuff like that and compose them composite them I guess is the term um, so I, I'd be interested to see how they're going to handle that kind of stuff I mean there's a lot of the drag and drop mechanism that's in the iPad now right that may be uh, one of the ways they'll get around that I do have the other Photoshop apps on my, my iPad and I play around with them every now and then but they're not quite Photoshop-y when I'm doing air quotes here in the same sense that the desktop version is right right and something they mentioned um, related to this announcement was their concept of the cloud PSD yeah uh, PSD exactly, yeah. being the file format that Photoshop uses and that it would yep. work pretty much like Google Docs does where you can collaborate pretty seamlessly so you could um, you know start something on your desktop and then sort of move to your couch on your iPad and continue working uh, without a hitch yeah that's huge I mean that, that the ability to like you know I think one of the things about you know iCloud and I use Adobe Cloud with, with Acrobat currently um, they have like a document cloud where so I can have files that are you know on my local on my my, my iOS device or can have it in the cloud so I can access it from, from my Mac or from from my iPads or my iPhone um, but yeah the the whole sticking stuff I mean pages has done that you know with pages and, and numbers and stuff like that and Google Docs as, as you mentioned right so the Photoshop file format in the in the sky is is cool and I think one of the articles that we've got posted here also talks wonders whether illustrators is uh, on the heels of uh, Photoshop and it could be too that you know we have that that upstart uh, well they're not an upstart company they've been around for a long time but the the Astro you no know, the um, designer people you know the um, like Affinity Designer Affinity Designer yeah they have they have a Affinity Photo and Affinity Designer which are basically their com- their competitors to um, uh, Photoshop and Illustrator they're you know like they're they're possible ways that you can, and they're they're a one time purchase uh, software right so you, you pay fifty or fifty bucks I'm just pulling a number out of my head I don't really know but I don't remember but you 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 pay that one time cost and then you have you know a fully functional you know app on your on your iOS device or you pay a little bit more and you have one on your desktop right and then of course their their files are interchangeable as well so that could be part of the motivation behind uh, like photos uh, Photoshop's come, or Adobe's come to the table in this sense right besides yeah. the fact that it's like the number one de- tool for this kind of work right yeah I mean it, it totally makes sense from their perspective because they were you know leaving money on the table so to speak yeah uh, clearly they're they're competitors who filled the the void while they weren't there and I think it just enhances the value for their creative cloud subscription pricing where you know I, I imagine it's like a bring whatever device you've got will support it sort of thing is you know it makes that what do you say twenty dollars a month for Photoshop that makes roughly, it more, yeah, roughly more palatable yeah. yeah and I mean yeah like like the the whole thing with the surface is is it's a full Windows operating system so they've they've had Photoshop for all this time right like um, I think the one time I went and did a demo on either on the, the I don't know if it was the studios surface studio or the surface uh, device itself but i fired up an, a copy of photoshop and it was just like working on the desktop right except i was on a touch device right yeah, looking forward to it. I mean, I, and it was, like I said, I've, the reason why I had it as follow-up is because we've been talking about this kind of one-day Photoshop's going to do something on the iPad or oh, iPhone or whatever to, you know, make our lives better in some way. In a, in a long enough timeline, everything is follow-up, right? We um, yeah, we could talk uh, around uh, around the June time frame. It's like, follow-up to last year, <laughs> there's a new version of iOS <laughs> coming out this That's week. You know? um, yeah, everything yeah. is follow-up to that first announcement by Steve Jobs 10 years ago or whenever it was. At the- no, it's 
it's the first iPod <laughs> yeah. when he brought up the iPod out of his pocket. Everything's been follow up, right? Right, right. <laughs> or ever since the Mac said, "Hello, I'm Macintosh," and yeah. coming out of the bag. <laughs> yeah, all right. It all goes back to Alan Turing, if you really want to look at it that way. Sure. Um, goes right. back to the first caveman who figured out how to how to add two numbers together. <laughs> whoever it was. Yeah, yeah. His cousin invented the wheel. Yeah. Um, a few months later. All right. So yeah, and the next story you have here, Jaime, why don't you lead into that one? Yeah, I have no idea this is available anywhere other than the U.S. Um, and of course the EU because this is follow up to the GDPR, the uh, General Data Protection Regulation that uh, the European Union instituted earlier this year. As part of that, um, Apple in this case made it possible for you to download all your data that they have about you, and uh, it was not available outside of the EU, but uh, now it is, and at least the United States. I have no idea if what is this? Privacy privacy.apple.com. You'll be able to log in with your Apple ID, and my understanding is it does ask one of your devices for a, uh, or sends a code to one of your other devices. So, you know, trying to address the concern a lot of folks have uh, met online of like, oh no, like now I can, you know, now criminals just go in and get my info. It's like, well, they'll have to have your device too. Uh, so they'll have to have your Apple ID, your password information and the device, which at that point, like, I don't know why they're downloading your data anyways. They might as well go buy some stuff and move to another country. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I guess it's there. People are uh, still following along to see what it is. It apparently is not instantaneous. It takes several days to maybe uh, like about a week to get your info apparently. Um, and folks were wondering, I think originally it didn't have uh, photos in there, but it seems like there's been subsequent updates to say like, yep, photos are included as part of the data. I guess it wow. could be a, a nifty way to get like a huge data dump for all your iCloud photo data and move it somewhere else uh, offsite, I suppose, if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Or over to Google. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's been available in May since uh, for the, the people in the EU, EU because of the GDPR, but, uh, and, and you know, it's available to you on, in the US of A. You know? And it's funny because I noticed that uh, that piece you were talking about, the, the um, way that one device vets you is, I can't remember what, what one of my Apple apps, it might be Logic or, hmm, I can't remember which one it was, but I had to actually go in and make a specific um, uh, login for that for that application. Like, you know how in, in Google, when you, when two-factor authentication first came along, you had to make a, a key for each um, account you were using or each way you accessed it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh, it was sort of a way of vetting it. Let me just look at my Apple ID here. Yeah, so you mean like your iPhone or your iPad would end up having to get app-specific or device-specific tokens sort of generated for them? Yeah. Oh, you know what it was? It was the, the app, lo- app uploader. The uh, Remember the other day I was having trouble with uh, uploading my app to the um, to iTunes? So when I wanted to use the application loader, Apple made me go into my Apple ID and make a specific key for that um, for that application so that they could prove that it was really, you know, it wasn't just me logging in through, uh, you know, this app randomly. It was actually... It was like a, another code signing that was happening between the app and, and my computer, right? So, or myself somehow, right? But I had to make a specific app password for under my Apple ID in order to upload. So I wonder if that's all part of the same sort of thing. Like you were saying, that they're one of the one of the ways Apple is going to require that you authenticate yourself sort of doubly to prove that it's really you to get your data, right? Yeah. And I think probably the funniest thing I saw online was somebody really, really grumpy about like, oh, well, this second authentication part assumes that you're an Apple customer, but like, what if I had like an iPod like 10 years ago and, and now I'm on an Android device and like, how do I get this? Like, well, sucks to be you, buddy, because, you know, the solution isn't going to be perfect for everyone. Maybe they'll have a like, go into an Apple store and bring your device and here you go. Here's your data sort of thing. I mean, well, there's, there is kind of a way that they solved this because, you know, I, I think I mentioned before that I run my old, my servers run older versions of OS. I think one of them's on 10.6 or like uh, Snow Leopard uh, as 
I was actually reformatting a computer at work today, and it was uh, it came up with Mavericks when I when I went to reinstall the OS. And when I went to log into the Apple ID, it asked me like the way the way they get around that is because you know how all the all the new mach- new machines ask you for the verification code, the six digit code that you get from your your account, your two factor authentication. Mm-hmm. So on those older devices, you put in your Apple ID as the username, and you put your password plus the six digit code. So you do the password and that all in one string, right? And then and it has to be like you know fresh off your phone or whatever. And then, so but Apple has kind of thought about how they how they're dealing with older devices, right? Um, like some like in some in the case of um, in the case of uh, Mavericks, it was able the prompt was there to tell me to add to add the six digit code. But on on Yosemite and you know uh, Snow Leopard, I had to remember to add that. It would just I would just you know try to log into the Apple Store for whatever reason or you know to iTunes or what have you, and it would just look at me like it kind of like no, it wouldn't even, it wouldn't shake to say no. Like you know it does that when it when you got the wrong information, it would just sort of look at me sideways and you know um, I had to remember to put the six digit code in the end of it. I had to you know Google it and Stack Overflow it or whatever to to find out about that problem at first. But Apple has been thinking about how they're dealing with this um, this extra data they need, right? Right. To prove it's really high man. All right. So anything else we want to say about this uh, cool way of getting your data? No. I mean, I think it'd be interesting to try it out myself at some yeah. point and, and see precisely what they have. But I kind of suspect there won't be any. Um, I don't. I don't think there will be any sudden horrific realizations as there were with yeah. uh, other companies Facebook. who tended to yeah. have you know a lot more tracking of stuff to begin with. I think Apple's kept it pretty lean for on the up and up, yeah, uh, you know, for their own particular reasons, right? Because they don't really have a business model based on tracking. They have a business model on making things that uh, make you want to buy them. So yeah, totally different. Yeah, it'd be interesting for me because I've been you know I've had a dot Mac account forever, right? So like I know there's some images out there because I used to have uh, they used to have an image a photo connection on um, mobile me for like a, you know you could have images up on there and they they closed that down years ago right but uh, I'm sure those images are still floating around somewhere yeah cool stuff like I haven't I mean I think I do I get my my dot mac email on my my mac now but you know for the longest time there was like a, a period of there period there like five six years ago or maybe more where, where all we were, we were getting spammed on that uh, account too so, lots of fun hmm. all right so I guess we're at the picks are we yeah. I think so I think it was the all follow-up show today the all follow-up show yeah <laughs> all right so um shall I go first yeah go for it all right so I got some I got three things here one of them is a LinkedIn video I don't know if there's a I'll just see if there's a YouTube video version of it or whatever but um this is cool um it was demonstrating how Google Amazon Apple and Tesla are, are solving first world problems that's the headline from it so what it what it shows is a video of, of a delivery guy from Amazon going to the door and ringing the doorbell and of course the person who you know has the house wasn't home so he used his his nest nest camera to talk to the the delivery guy and say you know, from his phone his apple phone and he would say hey you know it's me i'm not i'm not home right now and the guys go well somebody's got a sign for the package and he goes well hang on a second and he opened up his tesla app on his on his phone because his tesla was parked in the driveway and he says and he said let me see if i can unlock the, the trunk of the car so he unlocked the trunk of the car and it the, so the trunk opened up and he says put the package in the in the in the tesla you know that's put, awesome. put, and then and then he closed the lid and the guy's like wow that's amazing right so it's it's like like right out of silence of the lambs you know put the lotion in the basket you know but yeah it was uh pretty cool stuff yeah and that was you know sort of basically google amazon tesla and and apple all solving the problem of not a sign for a package when you're not at home <laughs> amazing N- neither company really working together on it but it was interesting that somebody was able to stitch together their own solution and he made a video this. of it at the same time that's the, i guess he must have recorded it with the nest cam right yeah like i know that amazon is trialing out this sort of capability of having um i think we talked about on the show the yeah 
delivery person who can deliver stuff into your house using their yeah. camera system and their um, door locking system. Yeah. And also trialing out the delivering to your the trunk of your car. Not in any arbitrary place, apparently just uh, either in your driveway, as in this individual's example, or in your um, in your work parking lot. Uh, yeah. So like not on the freeway, not at the um, not at the AMW <laughs> on 45th Street or something. You're driving you know, down like, the Highway 55 and the trunk opens and the Amazon guy just throws the package in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a scene out of James Bond movie or something, right? Mission yeah. Impossible. <laughs> but right. it does seem like a, a strangely reasonable way for somebody to show like, yeah, you know, it's supposed to be delivered to this address. There is the vehicle that's described at this address. And, you know, if you've ever had anything pulled out from one of those, um, like I know Amazon has the Amazon locker. I think Walmart has something similar or maybe Home Depot. I'm thinking of something yeah, with an orange yeah, sort right. of theme. Maybe even both of them have it. You know, it's sort of like a like a lockbox and a, kind of a reasonable one. I mean, yeah, I suppose it hypothetically makes your vehicle more tempting than it already is as a target for you know thievery. But uh, if you're okay with that particular risk factor, then it seems better than leaving it on your doorstep, which certainly I've seen probably hundreds of videos of people posting on their, their Nest or their Ring uh, doorbell uh, yeah. video camera that's like, oh, look, somebody sketchy came by and stole stuff, you know, my Amazon nice. delivery package right off my porch. Yeah, I've had I've had stuff stolen directly off my front uh, porch. Yeah, and your your porch is hidden too. It is. Yeah, it's behind the gate. Yeah. 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 No, I've had I've had uh, we've had stuff disappear off our porch too. Yeah, and they but they won't take the garbage we leave on our porch. I don't understand. <laughs> but yeah, you keep leaving it out there, hoping someone will come take. I know. It. I just I like here, do. take it away. <laughs> well, is it, you know, in our neighborhood, you can put metal. If you put metal out, there are people driving around in trucks who will just come and get the metal because they they sell it to the scrappers, right? Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Have, yeah. There are people who dig through our recycling and get uh get get cans and things like yeah, that yeah yeah we have we have people yeah. there's an entire live income yeah. of people living like that so i just leave the yep. i leave the cans and whatever on my porch for them to take yep. <laughs> come help yourself all right well my next pick is uh, so i i and, and i may know about this i may have known about this many years ago and, I, and i've forgotten what it was but uh so I, I you know i went through the I installed mojave on my computer and, and every couple of days it kept popping up and saying hey you want to find out what's new in mojave and to be honest with you, i don't remember a lot of the stuff that they showed at uh wwdc so i figured you know okay sure I'll, I'll just you know click on the thing and it took me to an html page and whatever and i went through it and one of the keyboard commands were for taking screenshots which i thought was interesting you know command shift three will take a screenshot of your entire uh, window including you know from them to stern the whole thing right and if you hold command shift four it gives you a cursor and you can drag a marquee around to, to take part of the shot right but but if you have if you want to take a if you have like a dialogue window like a like a, a, a pane from system preferences or something like that and you want to take a screenshot of that um command shift five will take a screenshot of just that pane but i don't know if you or just the window like if i have a like i'm looking at the google docs window in safari if i did command shift five right now it would just take that application window whatever the active window is um so i don't know do you guys have you guys heard of that command before or i just tried it right now it actually opened up i think even better than what you said it opened up a uh, a resizable box right yeah this screen. is this part of i think this is part of the the resizable box thing is now part of yeah like mine is oh i said in my case i'm just i'm hovering my my um it gives me like a cursor that can hover over the window mm-hmm. and i can just click on it and let me see i just click on this one here yeah you're right and it, it does a little box in the bottom bottom yep. corner and it, it is the same it's the same box that you get when you in mojave when you when you select the uh the screenshot i guess it's an app that's in your dock that showed up in your right the, oh really i think that replaced uh grab oh, okay you're right yeah, so, so grab is gone in mojave right and they've got this new thing called screenshot which i think actually works quite a bit better hmm. well this is the same thing like this like it opens it up and lets you annotate it like uh yeah. like um 
like it does on the phone, right? You can you, mm-hmm. like I can, I just deleted it because I don't, I don't want to keep the screenshot. But yeah, it's kind of cool. So so whether Command Shift Five was there all along and we've just forgotten about it, and or now Apple's just enhanced it with this this ability to preview mm-hmm. um, and I guess move the thing around. Because one of the things I love about my phone is if I want to post an image or screenshot to Twitter or put it in a in a text message or something is um, you know it can take an image and it gives you that little floating box and you tap on it and and go and edit it. You can you can you know use the share sheet action to share it to Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and then delete the image when you're done because you don't want to, you just you just want to put it out there. You don't want to keep a copy of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before you'd have to take a shot into your photo album and then send it from there. So that's that's kind of cool. So Command Shift Five that's for taking screenshots of the active window. Nice with enhancements on um, from Mojave. Cool. Uh, the other one is real quick is uh, we were talking about Luna Display. Um, it's one of the projects that I backed uh, when I first heard about it, um, and you can buy it. Um, Luna Display. What it does is it's from the people who make AstroPad, which is AstroPad is the the app that you can lo- you load it up on your Mac, and you load it up on your iPad, and you can use your pencil or you can use your, your finger too, and it it gives you a, a window of what's on your Mac screen, so you can you know can mip- manipulate the content of your screen like you're using a um, like a graphic tablet, right? So like a Wacom or something like that or Cintiq, um, and I believe it's got a keyboard too. So you, and it's got some keyboard commands or shortcuts in there built into the into. I have the AstroPad Studio um, version. I have a year subscription, so I can play around with that. Um, but Luna Display, it's it's a little hardware device. It's a little dongle you stick into your into your uh, either your USB C port or your Thunderbolt port. I, I bought one for Thunderbolt Display too. I bought one for my Thunderbolt port. And uh, what it does, it lets it makes my iPad into either a second screen on the Mac, or you know, if I want to mirror displays, I can just basically drive the the um, the screen from my Mac. So I took it out for a spin quickly today. Like you know, basically it was just a matter of downloading the two pieces of software. They immediately connected each other and found found themselves, and it was like almost zero config. Uh, I didn't have to do anything like in terms of entering codes or whatever. It just it just magically worked. And um, what's it just? How is, it, how is that going to work if you have multiple iPads and like if you're in an office or something like that? Anywho, um, <laughs> there must be some way of connecting the two of them, but uh, or syncing, like deciding which ones, which one, which one of the many iPads you're, you have in your office that'll that'll work with it. Um, my only complaint about it was once I because I, I'd love to sit at my on my desk or my couch with my iPad and and use my uh, my iPad to drive my Mac, but I don't have a I don't have an external keyboard for my iPad, right? So um, that was the one thing is it, you can't bring up the i. I I would think, you know, why couldn't you bring up the iPad screen, you know, the iPad virtual keyboard and, you know, just key stuff in on the iPad. But uh, that seems to be, it does support external external keyboards, of course, like if you had a Bluetooth keyboard or, or if you had the uh, the smart keyboard for the iPad Pro, that would be a solution. But uh, yeah, just, just one thing that uh, that was, that's the only thing that's missing, in my opinion, from, from this product. Otherwise, it was like zero config, up and running. I'm running on a 13-inch Air, so the screen resolution is pretty similar to the uh, resolution on the iPad. I think there's a little bit of black bars that happen on the side of the, when I was mirroring the display, um, a little bit of black bar happening on the on the Mac itself as it just mirrored the resolution of the iPad. But yeah, otherwise it was pretty pretty similar. Um, yeah, so it's great. It does not, I mean, like if you have a Retina Mac, it's not going to get, you're not going to get Retina on the iPad, obviously, right? You're going to get whatever the iPad resolution is. But yeah, nice, uh, smooth, easy to use uh, product. So, and it's, oh, and I mentioned last week, it's now available to the public for purchase, right? So you can just go to the lunadisplay.com and buy one yourself. So I highly recommend it. It's pretty cool. And it's tiny. It's like smaller than, not even, smaller than a USB dongle. Like it's just a little tiny thing, right? Easy to lose, I'm sure. <laughs> That's my pick. So, honey, oh, I, sorry, I have one more pick. One of my, one of my crazy, um, this is just a quickie. Uh, saw this posted by by one of the guys on the uh, Ray Wonderlick, um Black. Um, it's just a quick 
little illustration of it's called the Illustrated TLS connection, and it goes through the steps that um, the client and server uh, um, do when they're talking to each other and exchanging, you know, bits of information in a TLS connection. So if you're curious about how they work, um, if you click on any one of the, it basically puts a series of buttons on the in your web browser, and you just click on any one of them at any stage. You've got client hello, server hello, server certificate, and, and exchange, and you can see the sort of bits and pieces and explanation of what's going on and some, you know, um, basically hexadecimal code there to show you what's really going on, like the certificate and what part of his certificate, what parts are beginning and ending and all that kind of stuff. So if you're curious about uh, what goes on in the exchange between your client and your server in a TLS connection, take a look at this uh, link. I'll link in the show notes. And that's about it. So, Jaime, do you have a pick? I do. Um, we were talking about this pre-show uh, because it was a little confusing. So Swift and Fika, F-I-K-A, was a conference in Stockholm, Sweden that took place in September. Uh, I saw that the videos for the conference are on YouTube, so that's what we've linked in the show notes for those of you driving home. We have, what, um, looks like 11 videos from the conference, and uh, I've not had a chance to watch them, but uh, it looks like there could be some interesting topics here, like um, adventures in API design, uh, performance of standard iOS elements in tech, and probably um, how not to write Swift, with Paul Hudson is probably one I'll <laughs> end up watching. <laughs> I've got a tantalizing name, so I feel like it's drawing me in. Cool. Have to check some of those out. Yeah, and Fika, apparently, it's linked on the, the homepage for the conference, is uh, is a Swedish term for a coffee break that's more about socializing than drinking coffee. Hmm. And apparently so they're they saying they're more sweets. about socializing than uh, learning about coding? Or is that what they're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I feel like there's a cultural disconnect there, maybe. But yeah, maybe, um, maybe. maybe it's about building community. Because it looks, I mean, if there's only 11 videos, it probably was a single track conference. Hmm. So I imagine it's sort of a smaller, maybe more it's just a one day thing, more of a workshop kind of thing than a full conference. Yeah, yeah. So um could be that it was like about building the community uh, mm-hmm. around that sort of thing. All right. So Mark, hit us with your pick. So my pick, uh, well, it's a little bit of a shameless self-promotion, but uh, as I've mentioned many times on, on the uh, show before, I work for a startup called Skydio, and we make a self-flying autonomous drone. And our big news that just came out today uh, is that our Skydio R1 drone is now available for sale in the Apple retail store. Uh, so you can go and check it out and uh, have a look at it. And coinciding with the with the Apple Store release uh, is a new version of our app that has the first version of our Apple Watch app that I wrote uh, that you can actually use to fly the drone. And um, so I included a couple of links to some of the press. I have to say I've, we've gotten some really, really nice uh, press coverage on this and uh, they seem to like what we've done. So so if you if you're interested in drones, uh, I would I would go check it out at the Apple Store. And uh, you know, if you do, wear your MTJC T-shirt, take a picture of you looking at the, <laughs> at the, at the drone in the store, and maybe we'll post it in the show notes, or maybe even send you a sticker or something like that. Sure. Um, so I have to ask about the watch app. So is yeah. this is this a, a watch model you recommend with this thing? Like, what about responsiveness and all that kind of stuff? Well, of course, you know the 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 later uh, version you have, the better. The Series Four is going to work the best. Uh, but I actually did a lot of the development on a Series 2, uh, and it works fine. So it, Series 2 or above is 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 great. Uh, we have tested it on Series 1, and, you know, obviously it's not going to be as responsive or as 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 fast on, on Series 1, but but uh, pretty much anything will work. And There's a lot it, of intelligence. You use computer vision in the in the, the drone. We mentioned that before. So it must, yeah. the, the drone must sort of fly itself, and it's, it's just, get, it's like sending a probe to Mars in terms of, like, using a Series 1, I guess, right? Exactly, yeah. So so the what would 
makes our uh, drone different than most of the ones you get out there is most of them you have to use a, a, a set of joysticks or something like that. And you have to be kind of a, a an expert drone flyer in order to, to fly a thing so you, so you don't crash it into something. And, and uh, you know, I hear a lot of stories about people people buy these drones and they, they have it for a week and then they crash it and then it's destroyed. Uh, so so ours, you don't fly it in a traditional way, although you can. We, we do have that option. But most of the time you don't do it. It's it's controlled by just some very simple uh, controls from before now the, the phone and now and now also from the watch uh, where we, as you said, Tim, we use a whole set of, of computer vision and machine learning algorithms to have the, the vehicle figure out what's around it and uh, and in doing so knows how to avoid obstacles. And the way you fly it essentially is you tell it where to go by tapping on your on your uh, phone screen or, or selecting a, a target, uh, which could be a person or a car or something like that. And then you tell it uh, what mode to do this in. You, it can be something like follow mode is the basic one, which just follows you, or there's a lead mode where it stays ahead of you and points backwards, or there's an orbit mode where it will kind of fly around you. Uh, and there's all sorts of all sorts of modes. There's, there's probably at least 20 different modes right now. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, so you can select those those modes on the watch now. You can select your targets. We show little thumbnails of, of all of the potential follow targets that are that are visible to the vehicle, uh, and you can select one and, and do all that with the watch. We also have, uh, this will be of interest to developers, we've also just announced a new SDK. So if you are a developer who's interested in developing for the, the vehicle, for the drone, uh, sign up on our website, www.skydio.com. And so we're actually looking for some partners to, to do some early development using the SDK. Cool. And, and it's like one of, the, not one of these, these things, like you couldn't drive, you couldn't tell the, the thing to fly into a wall. Like, is it like right? No, that, yeah, that's, that's that? exactly, sorry, I didn't make that clear. That's exactly the whole point of it because, because the vehicle is aware of what's around itself and it builds this 3D map of the world around it. Uh, if you tell it to go follow you, it will it will actually avoid obstacles. So if there's a tree branch in the way, it'll go around the tree branch. If there's a brick wall, it'll go over the brick wall and keep following you as it does it. That's what's pretty amazing. Check out the videos uh, in in the links I sent, and there's a whole bunch more. Uh, just you know, do a Google search on on Skydio, and you'll you'll see all sorts of stuff. Or, or look on YouTube. There's lots of videos there. You can see what it can do. Well, this is how Skynet starts, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see why you might say that. Uh, you know, it seems like the um, the the hard kill or hunter killers. I forget what they were called. The HKs from, from Terminator and Terminator Two. But um, I think the happier thing that I looked at was like the family video they show on the the, the YouTube video, mm-hmm. maybe about a minute, where you can have the the kids interact with stuff or have it follow one versus the other. Uh, that seemed pretty seamless and, and fun to use. So yeah. it seems very very exciting. And congrats on uh, on getting that into the Thank store you. and everything. Yeah, that's, sure. a, that's a huge thing. And we choose to use our power for good, not evil. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> for capturing memories, not capturing people. Um, That's right. Uh, tell me a little bit about the SDK. Is it? Uh, I'm sure people are out there are clamoring and wondering: Is it uh, an Objective C or a, a Swift SDK? It's is, a Swift it, SDK. is it open source? It's a Swift SDK. But of course, you know, just like anything else on iOS, if you're developing in Objective C, you can just use bridging headers to 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 pull the Swift side in. Cool. Yeah. Do you pull it in as a CocoaPod Carthage? Copy and paste the files over. How does how does that work? Uh, there will be a CocoaPod soon. Yes. 
Yeah, for right now, uh, that's not ready yet, but it will be soon. So by the time uh, anyone uh, hears this, probably we should have we should be close to having that ready. Right. Hmm. So is it a framework now, or how does it work? It is framework. Yes. Yes. Yeah, a couple okay. of different frameworks that you import. Right. Yeah. Traditional. <laughs> yep. Pretty standard. But technically, it's a third party framework, right, Mark? It is. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. So it's Can pretty, you tell us what exciting. they retail for? Like, do you, are you allowed to say? Or? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not public information. Uh, it's nineteen ninety nine US US dollars. Right. Right. And uh, you know that that's some people are going to say, "Wow, that's kind of expensive for a drone because you can get a lot of them for much yeah. less." But when you see the thing and see what it can do, I, I have to say so myself. When it's it's pretty amazing. So if this is your thing, I, I think you'll find it worth the money. Sure. Is it is it come assembled like or as you see in the picture here, or does it? Uh, is there some some assembly required? No, no, no. no yeah, no assembly required. Uh, it, there's there's basically only a couple of different pieces that you can even take off. There's there's uh, propellers that it comes with propellers, of course. But if you know, sometimes it can happen that a propeller breaks or something like that, and so you can get new ones and, and put those on. Uh, and the battery uh, pushes into the side or to the back. Uh, it has kind of a magnetic uh, uh, clamp holding it on. Uh, so those, obviously, when you charge the battery, you pull the thing out and put it in a charger. So you have to you have to put that in every time you use it. So you can have a couple of batteries and sort of never run out. Sort of yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, cool. Yeah, I see in the picture here, there's a camera above and there's two cameras on top and I assume there's cameras all around. There's actually 13 cameras. Wow. Uh, one of them is the 4K video camera mm-hmm. uh, that when you see when you see videos, that's coming from the 4K video. Uh, and the other 12 are used for navigation. So there's six pairs of cameras all around the thing. And that's how it kind of builds this this world map of, of what's around it in all different directions. Hmm. Here's a dumb question. Does it remember the world map between flights or? It does not remember the world map. No, no, it's it's because it's all real time. It's just all done in real time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. At, at some point, probably it will, will add some extra memory in there. So if you go to the same place twice, it, it will kind of have a rough memory of, of what was there. But but the truth is, things are changing, right? So mm-hmm. so if if you're trying to avoid a tree, uh, and you know the wind blows and it blows the branch of the tree, you don't want the the drone to be remembering where the tr- where the tree branch was last time you flew. You want it to you want to know where it is now. So so there's not a huge amount of reason to to keep that map around from flight to flight. So can it can it um hand, like if there's a wind blowing like I guess up to a certain force it can it can manage the wind as well like Yeah, of, of course yeah, of course there is a there's if it's too windy you wouldn't want to fly the thing in a hurricane obviously. Right, uh, if yeah, it's yeah. too windy uh it's it, it won't be able to to keep up just because it'll just it's getting blown away so much it won't be able to to re you know to stay on the path that you set. And we have warnings that come up if it gets too too uh too windy it'll the, the both the app and the and the wa- and the watch app will give you a warning saying it's too windy you want to land and if it gets mm-hmm. really too windy that it just can't fly anymore it will it will uh, do an auto landing and and, uh, and just go down to save itself right and can it do like can you do like search and rescue kind of stuff with it like if you if you wanted to say can you say fly out 500 yards that way and come back and sure you can do that kind of thing yeah, yeah absolutely yeah yep or, or yeah. set like a patrol, like a patrol for it to go back and forth and a certain path or whatever yeah yeah in fact uh these cinematic mo- uh, moves or, or actually skills is what we call them mm-hmm. uh you can you can develop your own uh right. with uh we have actually two different sdks we have we have this uh, skills sdk which let you define things like that and we have the, the app development sdk as well oh neat yeah any more questions Jaime? no no this is uh fantastic stuff cool. yeah 
yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. So hopefully everyone will go check it out. Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll let one fly around in the, in the Apple store. Yeah. <laughs> or the Eaton Center. The, the Eaton Center is pretty big. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess that's it for another week. So Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at Synopsoft.com. And Mark R at Skydio. There's also Mark at Skydio. Yeah. Mark at Skydio.com. All right. Yep. Um, as I say every week, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitcher machine is how to get a hold of me. And uh, until next week, we'll see you later. Bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, so I went to the Eaton Center to see if your your drone was there, Mark, and it wasn't. It wasn't there, yeah. 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 Well, I do know that some of the stores in Toronto got them. Yeah, well, what do they got them and put them out is two different things, right? right. Because it's up to the managers, right, to put it out. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Like when I got my iPad Pro, I went there the day they came out, and I I didn't see them anywhere, and and I just went to look, right? And then um, some guy brought one from from the back for some lady who bought the first one, and I said, oh, do you have those? And he goes, yeah, yeah, they're in the back. We haven't brought them out yet. Mm, Yeah. I said, well, can I see one? By the time he handed it to me, I'm like, okay, here's my money. (laughs) (laughs) You know, does it have a case? Can I get Apple Care? You know, yeah. Maybe it'll show up in a couple of days, or maybe it'll be at the other store. Who knows? Well, like the York Yorkdale Mall is is more she she kind of like mall. It's so it's probably bigger. That one. Well, I mean Eaton's is Eaton's is a big deal too. Like it's on the third. Okay. Eaton's has like a it's a three story um thing. It's like a it's like a city block long. And uh, it's been there since the 70s. I used to hang around. We were hung around it when, when it was being constructed when we were kids. But, um, you know, it's like one of those typical Paris indoor malls. It's got the dome ceiling and the whole, like, glass dome ceiling, like a big greenhouse ceiling. Mm. Um, and the third floor stores are, like, all the fancy jewelry and, you know, places like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much, some American chains moved into the end of the mall there. I forget what it's called. But, um, yeah, and then um, it's not Nordstrom's, but something like that. Um, yeah, and then... Uh, and Oh, maybe it is Nordstrom's in that mall. Um, but the 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 Yorkdale Mall is huge. It's like you know the huge megaplex mall, and there's like gobs of parking all the way around it. Like you can park like it's like three or four football fields long of parking. You know, right, right. Yeah. You know, and it's just like it's just and Saturdays and Sundays it's just like there's nowhere to park because yeah. it's like completely full. And it's like you know they have all the fancy um, restaurants and you know and then 
the Apple Store and the Microsoft Store are like you know three or four stores apart, and they're really big, store, big shops. Like you know, um, like the one at Yorkdale. I'm pretty sure it's about as wide as the one in Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. You know, like that big, that big fancy one they have there. Yep. Yeah. So it's about. So I would expect that they would have more shelf space for that kind of stuff, right? Right. And it's funny when we talk about we're going to talk about Apple Store in a, in a little bit in the show here, and in the video that I've got clipped in here, the the store that they they show in the in the video is the Yorkdale store. Hmm. You can tell by the genius bar. Genius. Uh, they have a bar at the, at the back of the store, which is where the genius um, bar is, right? So, is that what they call it, genius bar. Genius bar. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. Whereas the one in Toronto or Eaton Center, it's it's they've basically encroached on the tables where the products are. There's so many people there to see the geniuses that they've just you know those big marble table or those maple tables. They've they've taken them over. So at the front of the store is all the product, and then the the back half of the store is all people at the genius bar. Hmm. Like and it's just and it's packed. You know, there's usually like ten or twelve people around each table, right? So getting repairs or advice or what have you. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, market. Uh, I don't know how you feel about giving like a conference presentation, but it strikes me that this would be one of those like really cool sort of things yeah. to have at a conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have been thinking about that. Well, you have it fly around and like sort of fly around and, and focus on you and show the video on the screen as you're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely can. Yeah, um, it, it would have to be a conference that allows commercial type presentations. Right. right? A lot of them don't. Uh, oh, a lot yeah? of them don't want you to just have any kind of product mention at all. Mm. But, oh, that's um, true. Yeah, but but I think it would be kind of cool. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, 360i dev or something. Well, that one just passed, but next summer. Yeah. Or maybe NS North. That's in April. When's the call for papers? I don't know. I should ask Dan. Let me ask him now. Do they allow this kind of stuff? Uh, I don't know. Well, the other, well, they had they had the um, iBeacon stuff, right? You know? But I guess it probably wasn't like a vendored solution. I think, um, if I get what Mark's getting at, you probably want something where like um, dev advocates from Azure or Google Cloud or AWS can present a session. And, you know, uh, it, it can be partially uh, sort of businessy, which I think is what people are concerned about. But I think in this case, mm-hmm. this is like a legitimately cool SDK that people can use. It's yeah, not just true. like, hey, here's our product. Take a look at it. It's like, oh, look, you can go build stuff with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it seems perfectly valid to me. But but Mark's right. You definitely have to find a conference that uh, is cool with that sort of thing. And then yeah. Amy Winehouse is coming back as a, as a hologram. Really? That is going to cause everybody who's even remotely a celebrity to think about yeah. posthumous um, control of their own rights. If, if you know, obviously not for themselves because they'd be dead, but for their estate and how that mm. works. Mm. So there, are, there are people. So I don't know. I've been really kind of impressed by um, you know, they're a competitor for I guess both of us, Tim. But uh, Capital One's selection of Michael Jackson and Prince and Whitney Houston for their recent ad campaigns. Oh yeah, and uh, I know that there are Prince fans who are kind of more miffed about it um and hypothetically if prince had you know thought about this he probably would have uh maybe put it in his state that, that they couldn't do this sort of thing but um it certainly certainly is something that people have to think about i mean look at rogue one with uh peter cushing right yeah, uh, re- yeah revived and, and as that technology gets better we're only going to see it you know more and more in the future not to mention carrie fisher right in the mm-hmm. yeah in the last Would you guys she's, think, always, uh, she's always complained that george lucas owned her image right every time she looked in the mirror she had to send him royalties mm. <laughs> did you guys see the um the deep fakes that somebody was doing with uh, the Solo movie, the Solo Star Wars movie, no, where they put really? Harrison Ford's face oh, on, uh, on the actor. Yeah, yeah. No, what was the deal with that? The, you know, the deep fake technology where you can take one person's face and put it on another person's body? Uh, they did that. And so they overwrote the, um, I forget the main actor's name in Solo. They overwrote his face with uh, 
a, a somewhat de-aged Harrison Ford from uh, oh, really probably like Star Wars the original because it seemed rather young to me. Hmm. Yeah, on YouTube or whatever. Or? I'll see if I can find a link. It's probably on YouTube by now. If it hasn't been taken down, if not, I'll see if there's a Verge article or something. That's cool. Does YouTube take stuff down? Uh, all the time. It, it kind of depends on how aggressive the um, the rights folks are. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we're waiting for that. You guys heard Paul Allen died. Yeah, he's pretty yeah, young. Was he like sixty-five? Really? Wow. Did you say yeah. why or how? Uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, non-Hodgkin's okay. lymphoma. No, non-Hodgkin's. I'm not sure what that means because I didn't look it up. Yeah, I think they... the bad one is non-Hodgkin's, right? Uh, apparently, yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. That would suck. Yeah. So in case you're wondering, it's now 7-5 to five Red Sox in the bottom of the 7th. But <laughs> the Astros have a man on first, one out. Oh, just popped up. Okay, two outs. In the 7th inning, you said? Bottom of the 7th, yes. What's the score again? 7-5. to five. Game's been going back and forth. You know, one, oh. one run leads back and forth and trading off. Hmm. Is that very competent? Very competent? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> one team over the other, I mean. Well, it's two very closely matched teams, so, right. you know, so it goes back. Mm-hmm. That's a crapshoot. Yeah. All right. Okay, I think I found one. People have been trying it for a while, so I think this is the one that was posted today. One sec. Okay, I put it below Mark's Skydio pick. That's in the show notes. So, hey, Mark, have you been watching uh, Doctor Who? Uh, yeah, although I didn't w- finish the end of last episode because for some oh, okay. reason. So I have it, I have it on tape. Uh, mm-hmm. Not tape. That's, and, you know, I know that shows you how meant. old I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's okay, yeah. but I'm not blown away by it. It's and it, nothing to do with her. It's, it's just the stories have been just kind of dull, I thought. I don't know. Yeah. But you know what? When the last guy first started, Peter Capaldi first started, I didn't think yeah. he, he was that. They were that great too. But he, but he grew on me. So she. Yeah, it's funny. I was looking at the the new um, the, in, the interior of the new um, uh, TARDIS. I, I wasn't thrilled with it when I first saw it. Oh, I haven't seen it yet because it's that must be at the end of this oh, episode, right? No, never mind. I didn't say yeah, that. Don't I, say don't, I meant I meant her new uh, her new Volkswagen. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, I knew <laughs> I knew it was coming because they when I stopped watching, they they were about to go find it or something like that. Yeah. So so I know it's well, coming. But just so, because we were just telling Jaime about the fact that Doctor Who has two hearts and stuff like that. So Jaime's never seen Doctor Who before, right? Never, so, ever? Well, well until last episode. week when I saw the Series 11, Episode 1. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so that's so nice. I've been familiar enough with the um, uh, with its place in, in culture, and so right. I knew a little bit of what stuff like the Sonic Screwdriver and the uh, the Companions and the TARDIS, yeah. but sort of like at the level of like somebody who, like, you know, who's never seen Star Trek, but like they know... Uh, you know about Kirk and Spock and other sort of things right. that that leach out into the mainstream. Right. right. Well, I think well, you have to go the, back to the beginning and binge watch the whole the whole. No, thing. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I'll find the dark, the lost episodes on the dark web. You know. Right. Well, right. you know, most most people who watch it now started with Chris Christopher Eccleston's series with uh, with Billy yeah, Piper. That's true. Yeah. The, the, the new the new the new gen the next generation basically. But the, the, what I was going to say though about uh, about the TARDIS is with every actor who becomes the Doctor or with every incarnation the doctor the tardis also changes mm-hmm. and it's funny though because you know the tardis was supposed to be this ship that could morph into any anything like like it could look like anything on the outside but it's broken it's stuck on being a police box right so, which is and why it's, it always and looks it's been the broken way. for the past uh 50 years, years at least you know you'd, you'd think back when he was hopping up to gallifrey all the time he could have just taken it into the shop right <laughs> yeah that's true yeah did you go to gallifrey a lot in the in the early days i don't remember uh back in the in the tom baker days he went there a bunch of times. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, he went to he, he went to Gallifrey in a few of the uh, Christmas specials, mm. right? The one with um, 
Remember Tom Baker was the uh, the, the gallery um, guy at, uh, what do you call him? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because that was the three-dimensional painting from Gallifrey, right? Right, right. And they actually go into the painting. And that was his first appearance since he left the show. He was always against uh, coming back for all those oh, was he? reading oh. shows. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. Well, back when I started watching it, it was on PBS or whatever, and mm-hmm. they were all out of order. So you would see John Pertwee episodes, and then you would see Colin Baker episodes. Sorry, Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I, I never watched any of the doctors in in the eighty or the eighty late eighties, right? You know, the guy that the guy um, that's uh, David Tennant's um, father in law is the is the last doctor I watched. He's uh, I forgot his name. I think he's no, is he Baker. Hmm. Yeah, I mostly watched it when it was Tom Baker, and then the guy who followed him, the uh, the all creatures great and small guy. Yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's the, that's when I stopped watching it too. Yeah, yeah. But it, I was confused by him at first because I I'd watched, finished watching all creatures big great and small too. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember being confused too because I didn't know that doctor uh regenerated so i oh, really? was watching it and then all of a sudden there's a new guy wait a minute i yeah. guess i missed the episodes where where it happened where he changed so well i don't know are there episodes where they where they regenerate in the old days i can't remember yeah yeah there's one for each of them i mean it wasn't uh, as as uh cgi'd as it is now yeah so Jaime, do you, do you have any guesses as to why the doctor regenerates i mean the real reason um probably because it's BBC and they don't have money for big time <laughs> players. So it's like, hey, you want a new contract? No, guess what? We replace you with another actor. We'll just write it into the show that you regenerate. Yeah. Well, there's there's, a, there's actually a story about the original or, origins of the Doctor from the, when it was first put on TV. But the original actor um, was a, was a bit grumpy, William Hartnell, and uh, he started. They thought he was having dementia. He was pretty old. He was like in his sixties or whatever, and they thought he was like having dementia or something like that. And so they they felt they had to get you know they. He did a couple of seasons, maybe three or four seasons, and then they felt, uh, yeah, three seasons it says here, and then they felt they had to get a new guy, and so they came up with this this way of switching out the actor. <laughs> you know, pretty good run. I mean, it started in like '63, right? So, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at that. Um, I'm looking at the uh, the uh, Wikipedia page right now. Mm. So the doctor that is the one you and I are talking about is after Tom Baker is Peter Davidson. Right, right. Peter Davidson's daughter married David Tennant. Oh, really? So yeah, the, sometimes you'll see two doctors out to dinner hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah 2005 is when the when the new uh, doctor came out david Tennant was a doctor for uh looks like uh, five years here and then um matt smith with first three and then yeah so and then peter uh, peter cabaldi three as well hmm. yeah. yeah but david Tennant really sort of cemented the the role if you listen to if you listen to tammy there's no other doctor besides david Tennant. <laughs> yeah the kids today with their new doctors and all that i know eh? <laughs> <laughs> you know tom baker is the only real doctor who yeah oh yeah mm. Well, see, I started with John Peartree, right? So, oh, okay. He was the James, was, Tom, he was the James but Bond. But I saw Tom actor. Baker first, though, right? Right, right. Which which didn't make any sense. Because, like, like back then, back in the 70s, you used to get, they used to be like six or six months to a year delayed in terms of coming over here to be played on American TV. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that, that I saw them out of order. Or unless I saw the doctor, the early doctor, doctor Peartree playing Doctor Who, and just, I was so young, I didn't remember watching it. But I remember he had that funny car, right? Right. Yellow car? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and a TARDIS, I guess. Well, he was the one that was, they took his TARDIS away, right? He was stranded on Earth. Oh, was he? Oh. At least at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because there's all these people like, um, who, you know, they make all the, like, the, there's the guys that make the 51st, 50, uh, 501 Legion that make all the Star Wars costumes and R2-D2s and stuff like that. There are people like that who do Doctor Who. Like, there's, at our, at our fan expo, you'll see, like, a parade of Daleks that people have made, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they all drive, they sit 
shooting them and drive around in them and stuff like that. But it, but t- this year I saw the yellow car that that Pure Tree uh, hmm. somebody made it made a, a version of it right. So hmm. wasn't the original one. Mm-hmm. Yep, lots of fun Doctor Who. The Doctor. Mm-hmm. Tommy has no idea what we're talking about. No. Yeah, like I said, I had never seen an episode until last week. So yeah. um, wow, I'm amazed. Mm-hmm. It's never made it onto my radar. Stranger things have happened. Yeah. No, we just saw it as an opportunity to sort of uh, well, because that's what they do on on um, uh, Sestracast. They t- the uh, one one lady's never seen Orphan Black, and the other one's seen it like three times, right? So they they talk about it from from the perspective of someone who's just seeing it for the first time, and then someone who's you know seen it many many times, right? Mm. So, very interesting. All right. Anyway, I gotta go pack it in because I'm running out of steam. All right. I gotta wash the end of the game. It's now the uh, eighth inning. It's actually still up seven to five. Things are looking good. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, okay. guys. Talk Have a good to week. Later. Talk to you later. Yeah, you see it. Bye. Bye. Bye.